The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Stock Tech. My name's Gaurav and joining me today is analyst James Carlisle. Good day, James. Good morning. And with us also from Vancouver is Graham. And Graham's an analyst too, for those who don't know. Good day, Graham. Hey, Gaurav. Um, gentlemen, we've just finished reporting season. It was um, one of the more difficult reporting seasons that I've come across over the last few years. I don't know about you guys, but we've actually turbulent. summarized. Turbulent. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> I've got to say, it was one of the worst I've had for a while. Okay, well. Mine started off poorly and then got better. <laughs> no, I, I actually, it was probably one of the, look, the, the results themselves were pretty good, but I was um, surprised by the negativity from from management. And I don't think the future is going to look all that good, actually. Um, we've summarized some of our thoughts in an article on the website. So if you want more detail, you can check it out there. But I thought today we could just go through some of the important results in a bit more detail. So we've each bought a, around one or two stocks each. And I thought we'd do a round robin and, um, and just go through them and discuss, ask questions, and see what we thought. Um, James, since you were the analyst on probably the crappiest result of the entire season, I thought you, we might begin with you, and we all know what we're talking about here. I think this is one of the worst results for a couple of years. Uh, a couple of, oh, for a couple well, of years. Of the okay. ones I look at, I mean, look, there are bad results around the place, aren't there? But this was, mm. this was, this was a howler and um you know it's it's sorry we're talking about domino's pizza of course yes we're talking um, about and domino's. uh you know it really gave cause to question the quality of the business and it's unusual that one result sort of does that um, because we've been we've previously regarded it as a pretty pretty high quality business hmm. um not just because of its management. Management is always it's always a little bit, you know, weak. Um, if if management's your only reason, management of Domino's has always been very good, uh, but it has also a lot of things in its favour. Um, we like particularly the fortressing strategy, where um, you know they build out a very dense network of small stores, relatively small stores, which mm. gives them an advantage in terms of delivery. Um, pizzas are also naturally a good uh food to deliver they deliver well mm. um and so in the sort of fast food delivery space we've think we 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 we've thought they had a few advantages um but yeah this result really called that into question uh and and mostly because of the manner of it i mean the speed with which it fell off the cliff so it wasn't really a bad half that they had they had a bad not even a bad month it, mm. it seems like they had a bad week at the end of December, so so they um, uh, they raised a bit of money and they um, put out an AGM notice. AGM notice at the end of November, and then raised a bit of money at the beginning of December. Don May, the chief executive, even bought some shares. Hmm. Uh, he sold some recently. Uh, I think uh, seven or eight times as many. So <laughs> that seems like a small small fry now. But um, so they at that time they were saying, look, you know, earnings are going to be. You know, roughly in line with with last year's period, um, give or take. Well, take um, seven million of forex uh, headwinds. So, so earnings were going to be slightly lower. Um, in the end, uh, they came around about twenty percent lower, which is uh, um, 
you know, a hell of a surprise and a hell of a surprise since they were, you know, advising, you know, it, it, all of that happened in the space of a few weeks. And as I say, I mean, in Asia, management said they had a pretty good Christmas and Christmas is a very important period for Asia. Um, but it all fell off in the, in, the, in the last week of the year. And it makes you wonder a bit um, what was, you know, how that, how that can happen. And, and probably the answer is that uh, um, to, to shore up franchisee profits, really. So profits, so they, you know, there's, there's a, a high operational gearing in these businesses. They have high fixed costs. So when sales dip slightly, uh profits can disappear quite quickly so so the company's been sort of supporting its franchisees a bit by holding on to some of those cost increases in key more core, uh, key uh, raw materials um uh things like cheese and wheat particularly um but the franchisees have also been struggling with with higher labor costs and uh, but anyway, so Domino's has been holding on to a lot of those cost increases, essentially. So when when a lot of volume starts going through, they're wearing a lot of lot of um, a lot of losses. The the final period, December is a bigger, relatively big month for them. So I suppose that can have a dis- disproportionate effect. But it just calls into question a little bit the value proposition. You know, when I, I'm used to looking at high quality businesses, and we'll look at another one of those in a moment. Um, uh, car sales is the one I'm going to draw a parallel with, but you know they they um, experience cost increases and they have a very easy time of passing those on to people. Um, it sounds like they. It sounds like Domino's was doing that by not passing those price increases on by choice, though, wasn't it? The management yeah, that's right. consciously but, but decided it, not to. So it hasn't been tested whether they can push the price increases onto the customers. Oh no, no, I think. It, I think it it, it it has been well because they're trying to so the, it's a question of the sales so the sales um the net the, the the sales um took a turn for the worse uh for the franchisees in December because they got the pricing so the so they changed prices sort of around October um introduced some new uh well tried to put prices up um, you know, again, and this is all part of helping the, the franchisees to make money. It's all part of a delicate balance. Um, and what they said is it takes a couple of cycles for that to, for you to really know how well that's done, a couple of sales cycles. Uh, so someone orders a pizza and, it, you know, and they think, you know, next one, they think, geez, that cost me so much. Um, and they think, well, okay, that's all right. I'll go back and you order it again. And then the third time you sort of think, actually, I'm not sure I want to be paying that. So, it, you know, the first, it, it's not as if people immediate, because once you're going onto the app and you want a pizza, you're not about to sort of withdraw and say, actually, I won't have a pizza tonight because it's $2 more expensive. But by the third time, you, you're beginning to think about maybe I go up the street um, and pick one up from someone, um, save myself that money. That it would have such an effect the price increases because it's not as if groceries and people's alternative options weren't going up as well in price. So they still would have been uh, deciding whether or not to have that pizza based well, on that's their right. other expenses. That, so yeah, that, I mean, that is right. Has um, the, the value to the customer changed much? Well, I don't think so. But I think, um, so what it is, is that they say that they're getting it wrong. That, that's what, that, that they put their hands up and, you know, this is what you expect from Domino's management. They're very uh in the past they've always been pretty candid 
Um, and they said, look, the, the, the industry is doing fine. So burgers, particularly, they said, were doing well. But that's more of a sort of drive-through or, or takeout option rather than delivery. Um, and uh, even the, the overall delivery, well, the delivery is doing worse than, when, than takeout. Um, but uh, they underperformed relative to that. And they think they basically, they think they just got their pricing strategy wrong. So, you you, you know, there, there's a, a myriad of different sort of specials and, and you get vouchers and, and, and there's delivery fees. And, and so it's a very complicated uh, way that they sort of try to charge you. They try to lure, lure you in. Uh, with offers, and then they and, and then sell you add-ons, which are better margins and that sort of thing. And they they think that they just got that wrong, and that so that's part of their strategy for fixing it. But it it all sounds a little bit um, well. It's hard to give it much uh, have, have that much confidence, really. I mean, it, that may improve things. They've the, the, these so they've introduced a bunch of uh, what they call flexible vouchers. Um, in Australia, which have been doing uh, apparently quite well um, in in sort of January, February, but you know, hold on, they just said that it took two or three sales cycles to know. So, uh, you know, going by that reckoning, we we can't really be confident about that either. So, it was the um, map of the um, of, of the result for me, rather than the content of the result itself. Um, you know, they just raised capital. Um, didn't give any hints that there were was a slowdown in sales, and um, I don't. And, I don't think they had any hints. I I, I believe yeah. them about that. Mm. Um, Isn't that worse? That means the it's it, there's been a sudden change. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I think probably, that's, uh, that's unlikely to be over now. I mean, if it changed on a dime in December, it's probably still. Oh no, no, no. They they said turning. that January, February yeah. had started pretty badly as well. But yeah, they've yeah. got hopes for for these flexible vouchers, um, the new app in Australia. They've got various sort of reasons why things might improve. But then Don, Don but, May but sold the a speed. whole bunch of stock. Well, he sold yeah, well. he sold a bunch of shares. Yeah, that was uh, such what, a such a bad look. Eight million dollars worth. Yeah. Well, look. I I don't know um, how much you know. The reasoning given was to take a conservative stance towards mm. his personal debt. Mm. It's always a bit of a worry when people are borrowing. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I I'm look. It, it's his his own personal finances. You can borrow what he likes, but um, you know, uh, uh, it's hard. It's hard to know what to make of that. But what 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 it does tell you is he doesn't think there's any obvious reason why it's suddenly going to go up in the next few months um so look he's taking a conservative view and 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 he's his view is presumably that the share price could could do a lot worse in the short term which which naturally it could i mean there's there's people buying and selling the stock the people who are selling the stock in the moment think think that you know it's, I mean, it's a, still it's always a warning sign for me when management sells a stock that's fallen a long way um it, i wouldn't mind at all well, i think if you borrowed a lot of money dollars. against your yeah. holding then you then you kind of have to and um hmm. uh look i don't, yeah it's i mean look it's, it's definitely not a good sign yeah um i don't know I, I i would say it's not as bad a sign as the speed with which profits evaporated in december hmm. <laughs> and and likely have continued to uh, stay evaporated in January and February. So it it just 
Yeah, I, I prefer to see companies able to control their own prices. The, the argument with Domino's was a little bit like, you know, during a, a recession, you know, pizza's a pretty cheap option, so people keep buying it. Well, that was the evidence during the last downturn. Yeah. Um, that, that's, in fact, what happened in the last downturn. So this seems to be, whatever's happening now seems to be different to what happened last time. Well, I think what, what's happened is a big, big dose of inflation. I that's mean, right. And they've and they've had to hold on to it. Mm. Um, and I dare say they're still holding on to it mm. January, February. And, and so they've withdrawn guidance for the second half earnings. Mm. And, you know, if you get six months of, of, of earnings problems, instead of just one month, although it was a big month, you know, um, that uh, is going <laughs> to, yeah, so I, look, I'm, I, I will, I, I, we don't want to upgrade this. So we've taken the price guide off. Hmm. Um, I think it's, you know, we do have a lot of faith in management. Uh, they've earned that over the years and it has bounced back from some poor periods in the past. And it has shown in the past, in fact, there's, you know, you, you, it has quite volatile earnings. There are, there are halves here and there in the past where, where this sort of thing has happened. Um, not quite to this degree. But, uh, you know, earnings are volatile. They can get things wrong. And their experience is that if they tweak it and experiment and get it right, then things can turn around pretty quickly. And that, that's what they're saying is going to happen. Um, I hope so. But, uh, and I, but I, you know, I think that the... The business deserves a bit of faith, so we we have it as a hold, but we've removed the price guide. We're, we're not going to be wanting to upgrade it until we've seen that final result, and until we've got a little bit more clarity on on how all this has has, has happened and where 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 those um, losses lie. You know whether they they call them warehouse losses when they're sort of taking the the brunt of the price increases. Um, and so how much of that, and, 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 you know, it's also going to slow down a bit of the growth as well, because if franchisees are seeing that the, I mean, that's partly why they have to shore up the franchisee profits because mm -hmm. they rely on their best franchise buying up franchises from the poorer operators, nice. um, and expanding and they're not going to want to do that unless they can see some profits there. So. Uh, so the, it, 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 on a on a sort of medium term basis, it um, calls into question their their forecast for um, store rollout. So yeah, um, it, it's in a difficult spot. Um, look, the shares fell twenty five percent on the day, and they're down another five or ten percent since then. Mm. Uh, so the market's taken down by a third since the re result. So the market's taken a lot of this on board. Um, and you know, I guess it's in the naughty corner and we're mm -hmm. just gonna, um, yeah, watch and wait really. And I think that that's for, for, for lazy, I say lazy, lazy is a very good thing when you're investing, um, for, for long-term, you know, patient, uh, investors, I think hold is the right recommendation. Mm -hmm. Um, but keep an eye on your portfolio weightings. Um, I think it's got a lot riskier. That's definitely something to mention and um we we put up our risk ratings at the time of the result and reduced our um put maximum portfolio weighting to five percent as long as you weren't ahead of that before from six percent then uh, you're unlikely to be now <laughs> so uh so hopefully that's fine for people but um yeah i mean i also said in the article more more aggressive 
uh, people who manage their portfolios more aggressively might choose uh, to, if they've got better opportunities or they can use the capital loss, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be crazy to, to, to sell and, um, and see what happens. Although Maybe it is still up from the first time we upgraded it, James, I, I might add that, uh, it's not a, yeah, we still, we still haven't lost for those of us. Yeah. Who bought, well, for those who got um, it then, but yeah, we've yeah. had buys. I mean, I had a buy, well, you say the first time we upgraded it was five years ago or something, but, um, was that five years I, ago? Really? Well, something like that, but I upgraded wow. it last okay. year at uh, mm. $84. Okay. Okay. So people have lost money since then. Yep. So there's uh, definitely capital me. losses. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it was a big <clears> mistake. <throat> uh, it got, we had a, a buy, we had a sell price of 150, I think, mm. uh, last year, early last year when it got up to 165 ish. Mm. And I was just, it was a time when it, you know, you, you were just, uh, Selling things was difficult because they kept going up and uh, I'm kicking myself. Right. That was one of the lessons from um, the madness. I think uh, we all in, in the team did really well avoiding um, some of the um, the tech bombs that have subsequently blown up. But um, I think the big lesson, certainly for me, has been um, selling. And we think we've, we've lost the art of selling over the last decade. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, it's been it, it's been difficult because it's been really things hard. have just been yeah. going, and you look stupid. And, and well, for ten years, the right answer has been don't sell to, yeah. to, to any circumstance. And the right the right answer has been <laughs> don't right. sell. That's right. So and that's suddenly changed. Yeah. Look, at least we weren't buying it up there. But but yep. geez, it would would have looked smart if we'd have sold it. <laughs> there we go. That's that's every that's every, every cycle provides its lessons. Um, and I think selling is, is the lesson from from the last um, cycle that certainly I've learned. But you know, I'm I'm glad we didn't get caught up in any in, in any of the buying madness in any case, because um, there was some crazy stuff going on over the last yeah. five yeah. years in particular. And yeah. yeah, at least we've 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 learned one thing, which is not to get caught up into that. Then the second lesson, I guess, is um, learning to to sell at the right time too. Um, yeah, I'm still learning it. JC, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, well, I'm well, yeah for sure. <laughs> I think this is a good good example. It's of that, a good but, it's um, a good example. Yeah. Anyway, let's 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 move let's on. Let's move on. We? Yes, let's <laughs> leave let's leave Don, yeah. Domino's um, there. Um, we might give you a bit of a, a break, um, James, um, and we'll come back to your second stock, which I think is is quite interesting. But um, Graham, how about you? Did you have um, a stock you you want to discuss in a bit of detail, maybe a bit less detail than what James went into with with Domino's, perhaps? Well, I think the probably the best result that I had come out this uh, season was Cochlear's one. Um, mm, okay. Just because I think that it that the part that impressed me the most was firstly their acoustics division, which usually gets barely a mention in their reports. It's only a small slice of the overall business, but it did really well. So it's gone from a much more competitive uh, situation compared to its compared to Cochlear's normal implant division. What, to, what does uh, the what does the acoustics division do, Graham? So the acoustics division, it's still a type of implant for to improve hearing, but it works in a different way to the typical uh, cochlear implant, which is through an electronic pulse. The mm. acoustics one works through bone conduction. Oh, uh, I see. Like those so toothbrushes yeah, just, that, that play music as you brush your teeth. Okay, you've got fancier not, gadgets not, than I do. <laughs> not entirely like that, though. I do oh, not right, like okay. That. But uh, I'll have to... Check that out. Yeah, these these uh, I haven't I haven't got one myself. I hasten to add, but I've seen them. And it's electric toothbrush, and, and everyone in my family uses electric toothbrushes. But this one, it plays music through your teeth, so it, it vibrates um, a frequency, and uh, you hear the music 
I think in your head or you hear it somehow and it goes through your teeth. Um, okay, I haven't, I haven't tried a whole it. new business line lined up <laughs> yeah, with that. Right. Watch That's out for the cochlear tooth. Yeah. Soon they'll be streaming phone calls to your teeth and yeah. <laughs> it already it already boggles mind that they can uh, stream phone calls straight to your brain through the through the. Is, is, that, is that right? Is that a thing? Is it? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I wow. mean, I can get it's. It sounds crazy, almost like you're in a um, what's it called? I don't know, some sort of fairy tale. But someone can call you from mm. the other side of the world. Mm. Your phone picks up the call. It then sends it by Bluetooth to your cochlear implant, which then mm. plays it straight into your brain. Wow. So without any sound passing through, you can get a phone call from the other side of the world. How is that not magic? That's <laughs> telepathy, uh, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's it scientific sounds, telepathy. It's amazing. Yeah, people people yeah. wouldn't believe it a hundred years ago. I, I um, barely believe it now, to be honest. <laughs> so yeah. it, sounds, it sounds incredible. But sorry, yeah, go, go on. Stuff. Go on but, with that. Uh, anyway, the, the good thing about the result in particular was uh, that their cochlear implant division, which is the that section, the one mm. that uh, does the typical rooting through your brain, um, that part there had implant sales go up by 14%. This is usually a business that grows in the low signal, single digits. Mm. Uh, but for that to jump so much was quite quite impressive. And also because although there's going to be some, uh, some effect from last year where we had lockdowns, a lot of the regions that they were selling them in last year didn't have those kind of issues. So I think that that was a pretty good result overall. It wasn't as exaggerated as some other results that we'll probably talk about were uh, because of that lockdown effect. So the good thing about having implants go up so much is that it then leads to another 20, 30 years worth of sales through mm. upgrades, through accessories, through uh, battery changes, all that kind of thing. Uh, That's a good point to make, Graham, that every yeah. every um, dollar of, of uh, sort of hardware revenue is actually backed up by many, many dollars of sales and I was sorry, service and future revenue as well, right? Yeah. And in cochlear's case, it really is locked in that if you get a cochlear implant, it's inside your head, you are not mm. changing brands. Uh, and that means that you are then kind of locked into these, these perpetual upgrades. So which are backed by insurers as well. So you don't even have to pay for them in many cases. Mm. But anyway, that's the good thing about having the implants jump so much this year is that it's it shows a long lead of growth ahead for the company. Yeah, right. It's my favorite number to watch. So, <clears throat> yeah, Cochlear did pretty well. It's been a long time since we've had a, a buy on on Cochlear. Are we any closer after this result? Well, yeah, we've been closer to selling in a lot of cases. Yeah, but that's using, right. <laughs> kind mm. of like your example before, you were always it was always a mistake to sell. Basically, mm. uh, in this case, we're closer. Well, we're probably midway through the price guide. I think we've got a buy of 160 and a sell of 280. And the price at the moment is around 220 or something like that. Mm. So we're, we're maybe a little bit closer to buying than selling, but it's kind of midway. It's mm. uh, And it's hard for a business like this to really get to a screaming undervaluation anyway, because everyone yep. knows it's a great business. It's, yep. it's just got so many competitive advantages. And uh, so, yeah, those kind of businesses just don't end up that cheap. Yep. No, I understand. Yep. Um, well, I'll I'll talk to my best result as well, which um wasn't really a contest for me. Um I mean the, the coal guys had amazing numbers, some of the miners had fantastic numbers, but for me the, the best result was really from Lavisa. And um Graham, you sort of hinted that um there have been some lingering COVID impacts, and that was clearly evident in the Lavisa result. I had these crazy same store sales growth, which was 
um, you know, historically completely out of whack because of of a comeback of um, store uh, of customers into the store. But even if you strip that out, um, revenue growth has been extraordinary. And what really astounded me, and I think probably excites me most, was the extent of the store rollout. I think the market generally has been quite conservative with store rollout numbers. And um, there's been a shift in the way this company um, looks at store rollouts and how aggressive it's prepared to be with store rollouts. So they rolled out 86 stores um, in in six months. And and that just is insane. Um, And I think they're actually looking to accelerate that rollout from there. Um, So they're sort of looking at 200 stores a year. And I, I don't think that's factored into the the prices at all because if you do any sort of math on that, um, it just um, a, you're looking at a potential explosion in um, in earnings if it all works out. Um, and there's obviously no guarantee it does. This is of course a, a discretionary retailer, which is the the dodgiest, um, riskiest part of the market where we've seen many many companies blow up, many ambitions thwarted, but. This um, seems pretty special to me. I think this is um, this is looking quite interesting for me. It's a still a, a really uh, good idea, um, and um, and uh, the market I, I don't think quite um, appreciates the change that's happened. Um, when I listened to the um, or actually read through the transcript of the of the uh, results, I mean that was the big thing for me. Just the uh, the the change in mood from management. They are suddenly more ambitious and more aggressive. And um, you don't see that in the numbers straight away. Um, they're certainly rolling out very quickly, uh, but I think you'll start seeing that over the next few years um, as those stores open and as they mature. And they're doing all of this while paying a 3% dividend yield. Um, they're not in then their net cash. I've just haven't seen a retailer um, growing its store network in this way without um without tainting the balance sheet before um, so this is um quite special what's happening here in the least i think do you think they'll be getting to a point soon where they kind of saturate their market they've just rolled out too many stores and the stores cut start cannibalizing each other or something like that no we're only we're only at um 700 stores graham i, I think um i think that we're with there's a thousands thousands of potential stores they can open um, and part of the strategy is actually to open in high volume locations. They actually double up, and they fortress the stores. Um, so if if you notice in uh, in Melbourne, um, in the CBD in Melbourne, there are there are two stores sort of 100 meters away. In the QVB, there are two stores about 40 meters away, and they're both um, very profitable. Um, so that's it's something that they the site selection is something that they're quite strict with, and they're very good at. They closed all stores down very quickly. When they're not working, um, and uh, the the beauty of the the model is that the um, store costs are actually quite small. So the so it's a low footprint, low labor um, business model, and it works really well opening closing stores quickly. Well, and they have negative working capital, don't they? I don't know if it's quite, quite negative. negative. Okay, yeah, so they do have to invest a little bit, yeah, but they, but they don't. Not not other specialty retailers have to invest a lot more, a lot more as they expand yeah. their footprint, don't they? I think. Well, the inventory, the, the working capital is actually it's not it's not negative, but it's it's so, clearly not not burdensome either because yeah, um, yeah. they can they can fund it internally. Um, which brings us back to you, James. For <laughs> let's, well, let's that's talking, I was just thinking talking about being yeah. able to grow without mm. um, sucking in too much cash. Um, 
that that's the uh, online classifiers for you. That's any yep. of these big sort of soft, software companies which have, you know, their costs are in their profit and loss account. Their their investment is is mostly in their profit and loss account. Mm. And once they're rolling out their product, it, you know, the extra any extra sales uh, doesn't really fall to the bottom line. So uh, that puts them in a very strong position for growth and grow. They have been. Um, mm. Extraordinary I, businesses, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're you know they're fabulous. One, but I mean, if you're the best, if you're the number one, I think yes, you that's know, right. If, if you're, you're the, the number, number two, one. not so much. And if you're yeah. the number three, forget it. <laughs> forget it. You know, yeah. So you know they they really are. And obviously, in this country, I'm talking about REA, uh, car sales, and Seek. And I yeah. could pick any one of those mm. as 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 an interesting uh, comparison to Domino's. Um, in this reporting season, and particularly in terms, not, well, it's not just that that growth, but also, um, sorry, I've just forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, which is the best of the three? Oh no, 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 no! But also, um, uh, um, oh yeah, um, but also in terms of their value proposition. And the value that they deliver, and the ease with which they can pass on cost increases, and they all were demonstrating that in the latest reporting, uh, in their latest results, uh, with what they call yield uh, going up. So the amount um, of revenue that they make per listing on their site, mm-hmm. um, and you know that gets supported by two factors uh the first of which is price increases um and the second of which is is the mix the uh, greater proportion of uh of premium uh, products so you know on rea um, well on all of them you know you, you you whether you get a picture or a video or or whether you come to the top of the search results or or whatever it is so they can um people pay for for the 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 higher premium products uh agents pay subscriptions for having a a, a higher uh product mm. uh, in the case of rea and dealers in the case of of car sales um excuse me one second <clears throat> um uh now i've lost my train of thought again <laughs> i knew that was going to happen the the price increases the depth oh yeah the yields um the yields, yeah, yeah. Uh, and car sales and seek particularly well, rea has already gone somewhere down this this path which is the dy- dynamic p- pricing which is uh were they the first uh, in the world to do that because that's quite quite brilliant i don't i don't know whether they were first in the world but i I mean they're first in this country i think i mean Mm. it's it's where this naturally leads because you want the people with the fanciest homes or the fanciest cars Mm. um in in the highest demand areas uh to be paying a bit more because you Mm. you want um the price that people pay to be reflecting the value that you you deliver Mm. and in a very competitive you know uh car buying environment um you're delivering more value um, than in a you know um, very uncompetitive car buying environment. So, so this dynamic uh, pricing has really been driving car sales and seek the last couple of years, um, and it was very evident in this result for car sales in its private um, mm. segment. Um, so, 
but I mean, look, so were price increases. Price increases are, are a funny thing because, I mean, they're, they're kind of mixed in because they talk about price and mix and the mix is the, the depth products they talk about, the, the mm. premium products. But really the two things are sort of um, kind of combined because you put the price up because of the value that you're delivering um, is is increasing all the time. So that, I think the base proposition for all these companies has increased greatly over the years, but they're also able to sell more of these premium products. Mm. Um, so, the, so you know, the bottom line is that the, the revenue keeps marching upwards. Um, they have very strong margins. So the revenue keeps marching upwards and, the, and there's a, a degree of operational gearing in that as well. So um, even, even Ferrari, I mean, look, earnings are going to fall for REA this year um, because listings have been going down, but, but, but it's a huge, um, uh, you know, uh, buoyancy aid, I called it in, in my, my review, um, you know, the, the, the yield that they have on each of those listings. Uh, so earnings will fall by a lot less than the, um, the listings. Um, and uh you know, they, we, we, we'd expect them to recover nicely next year. Can I just Cars- ask you about REA Sorry. for a second? Um, the management there spoke a fair bit about the Indian operations and they were, um, I was surprised how bullish they were about them. Do you share that bullishness as well? Um, well, look, it's a very big country. <laughs> I mean, look, and that's really the already? size of it from, from their point of view. Okay. I, I suppose, um, I mean, that's what they talk about as well. Um, the, the, I suppose the key thing about India is that they've gone from being the second or third or mm. fourth even uh, in the market a couple of years ago uh, to being the comfortably the leader now in terms of audience. Okay. So they've done really well okay. in, in that respect, um, investing heavily into um, the platform there, okay. housing.com. And they, uh, and in fact, they're stepping up. So they're doubling down. They're stepping up the investment. And that is actually a large reason why um, earnings this year um, are actually going to fall a bit. Um, in fact, possibly more than Australian listings. I was just thinking about that when I said it. I mean, the earnings are going to be down a bit this year because um, they are investing um, heavily into India. Uh, but, you know, having taken that number one position, I would expect them to hold on to it. And it is a big country. It, you know, there's, it's a huge opportunity for them. Um, you know, it's it's moving increasingly online, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity and um, I back them to make the most of it. What's the valuation at the moment on REA? Um, off, the, off the top of your head? In terms of PEs, about sort of 40 times this year's earnings, I think. Oh, okay, so it's still up there. I'm looking, yeah. 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 And, uh, but it's, you know, that's, so after this, so this year earnings uh, falling maybe 6%. That's, yeah. the, these are consensus estimates I'm talking about, but they're expected to grow in the high teens next mm. couple of years, okay. you know, um, as as they, they think that this year is going to be the peak of the Indian investment. Mm. Um, so... You know that that forty times comes down quite quickly to probably thirty times over the next couple of years, um, and and then keeps coming down after that. I would I would estimate I would I would expect hmm. um, that makes it by far the most expensive of the three hmm. companies. But I think it's the the highest deservingly quality. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. deservingly so. Um, Seek's probably the next. Uh, so Seek's on on low thirties. Hmm. Um, and car sales currently a P of 30. 
um, which is falling. I mean, it, it's going to grow this year. It's going to grow next year. Um, is there an argument and- that there's been more cyclicality in car sales? We've all known, we've seen what's happened to these used car prices. And um, I think car sales, do they make, they probably make more money from, uh, it, from well, dealers? Um, yeah, it's it's been an, it's, it's an odd environment the last couple of years mm. because um, used car prices have, have risen. But the um, the amount of inventory, people are desperate for car, for cars because you can't mm. buy new cars because of supply chain problems and everything, and everyone wants second cars because and they're not giving up the second cars because mm. of the pandemic because they don't want to be on public transport, all these things. So so used cars have been much much in demand, which is the point I think you're making. And so mm. so um, prices have been high and inventory has been low, um, and uh, being the equivalent of listings. Um, but and what's happening right now is in fact they're in a bit of a um uh you know a sort of a sweet spot um where mm-hmm. prices seem to still be high mm-hmm. and yet the inventory is now recovering and the leads mm-hmm. that they're delivering to dealers is recovering so that activity is is recovering mm-hmm. and yet the um car prices used car prices still remaining quite high and I guess that reflects the fact that that um, new cars are still, you know, they're still trying to ramp back up. I guess um, uh, with uh, with those. So um, yeah, look, I think there's an argument for that. I think there's an argument um, that the next couple of years. Uh, but I, I mean, I, yeah, prices seem to have plateaued, and let's not forget we've had all this inflation. So. Mm. Um, maybe maybe that continues. Um, the manufacturers say that there's been a step change in the production costs of new cars simply because everything now is either electric or hybridized um, and there's just they just cost more money. So all the big yeah. manufacturers are saying that we're never going to see a sort of $30,000 base car again. And, and um, sure. the average, <laughs> the mean price of, of, of vehicles in Australia is now I think 60,000. The US it's more like 40,000. So it's, it, and it's hugely um rising it's that's that's it's probably a multiple of two what it was sort of um five or six years ago well so look there you go so that's that's kind of supporting them um and of course they just they've just launched a capital raising to buy out yeah um or another third or so of web motors in brazil taking them up from 40 to 70 percent of that Mm. um and that's uh, quite a, a growth market. They're, they're, they're getting good growth in the US through Trader Interactive, um, which is focused not, not on the usual car market. So you've got to think about them a bit differently. They're not okay. that they're, they're a long way off the leader in auto classifieds um, uh, in the US, but they're, but they're very strong and they, they are the leader in, in like RVs and caravans. And, oh, I see. Uh, okay. And okay. power sports, jet skis and motorbikes and things like that. So um, they, uh, yeah, they're in a good, the question for, for Trader Interactive is mm. whether you think that um, Auto Trader, the leader in the US is able to mm. um, take its audience uh, into those, markets or whether they're genuinely separate markets and i think that the evidence at the moment is that they are separate yeah. people tend to go to them it's it takes a different approach slightly to to sell an rv than a you know lexus and um uh so i think yeah it's going well they're getting again they're increasing yields they're putting prices it prices price increases mm-hmm. through and going very well 
I like it, James. It sounds good. That REA particularly sounds um, quite interesting. I'm hoping this cycle, when we get a shot at to finally buying, it's been years since we've upgraded REA. Oh, well, no, it hasn't. No, we upgraded oh, we it last quick, year. We, we had, had a quick, quick yeah, very yeah. short. Very oh, no, it, wasn't, it, was... it, wasn't that, it wasn't that short, I don't really? think. Yeah, well, we upgraded. <laughs> we just upgraded a little bit earlier. We upgraded about 112. Yeah. And then it um, fell into the 90s, but it was uh, still a buy at that point. Completely missed it, JC. Yeah, it's one I've really wanted to buy for a long time. I've completely I've missed it. Yeah. <laughs> you bought some? Yeah. I did, yeah. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, it's got, it's a uh, fantastic quality businesses. Um, Graham, how about you? Something that maybe, oh, actually, I, I won't prompt you. you. You tell us which stock you want to talk about. It can be good or bad. Well, you could have prompted me anyway, but I'd end up finding the a way to the stock I want to talk about. Ah, save um, you the hassle. Yeah. Uh, the next one on my list would probably be CSL. Uh, nah, I could have used the old high quality thing after all. Yes, okay. Well, stick to the quality end of the market. Uh, yeah, CSL had another good year where mm -hmm. it's it's had a real shining this year because it had a lot of issues coming through the pandemic where it's again, it's another high quality business, uh, very well known, everybody loves it. But during the pandemic, it was unable to get plasma, blood plasma to make its different uh, antibodies and, and blood products. Because with the lockdowns, people just weren't able to get to its collection centers, mainly in the US. Uh, but since then, the yeah, that's all opened up, they managed to get plasma volumes to a new record level. So it's for it's recovered fully from the uh, downturn during the pandemic and that you can think of the plasma as being the um the hay or the fodder that it collects throughout the, the year ore, which it then uses like. to yeah that's a, that's a great mm. comparison mm -hmm. is yeah this is what they use to process actual products so when you see the plasma collections going up it's a really good sign that in the future mm. you're going to see more products able to be made out of it and particularly with a lot of its products where they're uh, they're vital to people staying alive or they're in a uh, huge demand where they can't keep up with the demand for them, then, yeah, having that that recovery in plasma is really important. So good to see that CSL's out of the out of the woods on that. Two questions for you about CSL, Graham. Firstly, um, I believe they have three big drugs in, in different phases of approval and each of those drugs... Um, I read can could be a billion dollar business on its own, which is just extraordinary. Is that is that your your view as well? That there's a lot of um, latent potential still at at close to three hundred bucks. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not only because those particular products are getting towards the later stages of the approval process, in particular CSL one one two, which is the uh, cholesterol busting drug. The cholesterol one, yeah, uh, yeah. That that's mm. probably the their best shot compared to all of the other ones. And so far, it's done very well in the trials, so I'm optimistic for that. But those those products will eventually, 30 years from now, roll off their patents and everything and probably lose their value too. But what keeps value inside CSL is that it's got the structures and the research teams and the particularly this, this plasma supply, which allows it to manufacture the drugs that it researches very cheaply. Uh, it's all of those internal structures which are what mm. keep it going it's not whatever drug is being approved this week or next year next okay. year or anything like that it's the yeah the processes the systems the intellectual property that's what's backing it 
That's a fascinating insight, actually, because I think most people um, think of CSL as this R&D machine. Um, but everyone knows it's a high-quality business, but I don't think it gets credit for being a um, a very strong culture as well, and that's clearly evident. I mean, how many times have we seen um, a CSL, CSL um, management uh, CEO kind of move on and we've all been so impressed with the replacement? Um, there seems to be a very strong bench in senior management um, and the accounting treatment of all their, um, of their that huge R&D budget is so conservative. It just seems uh, I'm, I'm always... Every time I come back and look at CSL, I'm so impressed um, with the management and the way they speak and act and the way they treat shareholders. And I have to pinch myself to realize this is actually a hundred billion dollar business. And you, there's not too many and a hundred year old business, which and you don't get yeah. too often. So you don't get big yeah. companies um, acting and speaking that way often outside of Berkshire. Yeah, and I would say that it does have. A strong internal culture, which you can tell through little things like compared to uh, a lot of other pharmaceutical companies, which are out there buying research instead of doing the research themselves, they'll have a research uh, budget. But a lot of that is being spent on uh, research coming out of universities or startups or things like that. They're not the ones actually doing it. They're looking for that. Mm. And that is competitive because then when they're buying that research, they're having to compete against the other pharmaceutical companies, which are doing the same. So the 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 prices then uh, to actually buy the intellectual property uh, have sucked out a lot of the profits that they might have otherwise made if they did it internally. Mm. CSL, on the other hand, does a lot of its research internally. It's not out there buying it from others, which is maybe a remnant of its roots in uh, CSIRO or something like that. But yeah, the, the Australian culture of research and its researchers locally are uh, yeah, top-notch, it seems. Yeah, they keep um, finding new stuff in the plasma. So <laughs> now, did did we actually did I, did I completely miss an upgrade of CSL, or has that not happened for a while? No, that's the one stock on my list that I have never upgraded, but is okay. Always, always wanted to. It's uh, yeah, it always looks overvalued, but mm. at the same time, it just continues to beat expectations. Mine in particular, so. I've got so much uh, yeah. affection for that business. It was the, um, I remember when I first joined Intelligent Investor, that was the first stock I bought um, uh, as uh, first recommended stock I bought um, that I, I had recommended huh. and I was working here and speaking to um, the analyst about it. And it was just, um, it just sounded fantastic. And I'm still holding it all those years later. I think it's the, I've held it now. That's the long, my longest hold holding in my in my portfolio. It's been Gee, and how long is that? Fantastic. No, oh, more than 10 years. Um, 10% of its history. <laughs> yeah, for 10% of its history. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful business. Um, yeah, we're not too far off an upgrade. I mean, it's two, 280 or so at the moment, and uh, we have a buy of, at 250. So it's probably Ooh. closer to an upgrade now than it, and it's been in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah when I was getting down to the 60s, I was thinking, oh, good, we're going to get, get that elephant gun loaded, <laughs> <laughs> ready to fire. A bit like Cochlear, which you mentioned earlier, this never looks cheap. You sort of have to um, swallow the, uh, the the big multiple when you when you buy it. And that was that was the case when I bought yeah. it all those years ago. It was on thirty something times earnings um, when I bought it, which back then was an extraordinary multiple um, to pay. Yeah. So um, well, yeah. still still today, and and still today after what more than ten or oh, well, ten bagging, I think um, in that time. So it's um, been extraordinary. Um, the the final business I thought we'd we talk about, and um, 
this might break the pattern of, of both of you speaking about ultra high quality businesses, but it's there's a lot coming out of Next DC in in their result, um, and the numbers themselves, I guess they were okay. There was nothing wrong with the financials. There was a few things I saw in the in the um, in the commentary and in the operating numbers. Um, that just made me a bit more cautious about Next DC. I've been quite enthusiastic about it for many years. Um, it's been a former buy reco. I think it's been in the funds, in and out of the funds for a little while. We don't own it. I don't own it personally at the moment. But um, the, the the case there is really that um, these big data centers, um, uh, they I've called it a, a, a like a mini Westfield. They um, they attract huge anchor tenants. These hyperscalers, you know, the the Oracles, the Amazons, the Microsoft, and in order to get um, physical server connections to those hyperscalers, it then attracts a whole bunch of other customers as well. And once you start getting um, a, a mix of, uh, of of customers inside a data center, the connection possibilities grow, and you end up with this little um, uh, this little supermarket of, of connections, and that drives earnings for for decades. Um, I think I mentioned before, but the, the Equinix is the market leader in um, in the US and um, in their data centers. Data centers that are fully booked and matured, they still get almost double digit um, earnings growth every year, just from more networking, CPI increases, um, and cost increase and and um, and higher loads going through. So it's um, it's a business that can grow effectively for a long time churn rates are really low really strong competitive position but um i've just been a little bit nervous about the this huge capacity build up we've seen um and um the competitors and next dc themselves are both building frantically to get customers in because once you get them in um, it's very difficult for them to move they have to actually physically shut down their servers get someone to to cart them out and, and replace them. And that's obviously not going to happen very often at all. In fact, across the industry or across the world, the only people who move are companies that go bust or if there's a security breach or something. It's a rare occurrence to see customers churn in this industry, which makes it a very strong incentive to to grow quickly and get them in there as fast and as cheaply as possible. Um, but they, they, they have, they're having to do a few, um, few strange things now. So... Um, they're now moving into um, these edge centers, which are small, low-returning um, data centers close to capital cities, but they're in demand from their customers, so they sort of have to have them to strengthen the network. And then they're building these wholesale data centers, which are in demand from the hyperscalers. And again, low-returning, they don't have those network potentials. And this is a, a more of a, a classic um, a storage unit for servers. There's one or two customers who sit in them pay wholesale rates there's no connection fees there's no networking and those are also not ideal so you've got great returns being earned in the primary centers and then being allocated into these edge and wholesale centers where returns on capital are low but they're required in order to get your customer happy and to strengthen the entire network so to me that's a bit of a I can't see an alternative but to spend that capex, but it, it does mean that incremental returns are probably falling. And I think there's a bit more cyclicality in this whole industry than what we've come to expect over the last 10 or 15 years because the results coming from the American cloud companies have been awful. Um, there's a clearly um, they're clearly cutting back on cloud spending, and that has to hit um, uh, regional data centers at some point. So I'm a bit worried about that as well. 
And the third thing I'm worried about is just this um, this enormous balance sheet. I mean, they carry a huge amount of debt and the debt is backed by property, a huge property portfolio, valuable property portfolio. But, um, you know, we've just seen what what capital markets can do. And um, I think you, you want to be careful about how much exposure you have to highly indebted businesses at this stage of the cycle. So I've just- Have they taken uh, the debt on just recently at the higher interest rates or did they lock it in years ago and when that resets, they're going to be hit by- all these extra financing costs. It's resetting already. The financing costs are about 50% in the last result, and they're only going to climb from there. But um, it's it, they're not in, in trouble at all. There's plenty of of cash for which from which to pay their debts, but it just increases the risk. And there is such a huge pipeline of growth that, and there's no indication they're slowing down. So they're continuing to take on more debt and to build out um, that, that pipeline at, at a time where there might be a cyclical slowdown. Um, uh, from the demand side, so presumably you know, they can put up prices quite easily if they if the debt mm, gets more expensive. There, I mean that. So that's the mm, question. That, yeah. That's it's really hard to do. Actually, they they have really attractive CPI index price increases that go through every year. Oh, okay. So they get inflation, um, but yeah, um, they, they get they get yeah. the inflation, but yeah. the um uh the actual uh there's a lot of competition to get new users. So. Yeah. It, in fact, one cheeky thing they do, which also doesn't impress me too much, is is they capitalize the discounts they give to their initial customers, and then they amortize those discounts, which I just yeah. don't, don't think should be done at all. Um, well, that's just so. I mean, they're, they're long term contracts, right? So you yes, could. I, yes. I, I think well, it's okay contracts. to amortize. They're oh, not and they're not. They're not. Yeah. So they can be, they can leave at any time, but they just yeah. expect that they're going to stay for ten years or whatever. So they We're, amortize over ten years. Correct. Or no, not they even over ten years. a discount. Yeah, I've never seen that before either. I was really surprised. Myself. I mean, they're not, they're not huge numbers we're talking about, but, you know, uh, there's just a, one extra little worry on top of a growing list of worries for me. And this is not to say I'm panicked about it. I'm not worried about it. This is an outstanding quality <clears throat> business um, with a great track record. But I just think we need to be a bit more cautious. So I've chopped back that um, that buy price um, a fair bit. and um, and And I think we want it to cover existing data center capacity only and we want to pay nothing for the for the growth um and you've got a lot of property value embedded there as well so i think that's that's fair i'm quite happy with where that price guide is at the moment um but just a heads up that um i'm a bit more nervous about this than i was uh, a couple of months ago is there a market for that property oh or, yes or the, are they the private equity would be uh salivating infrastructure funds would be salivating these are, are fantastic assets so the the game for for pe or for an infrastructure business and this has happened internationally would be to purchase next dc or make a deal to buy the property and have these long-term leasebacks you create this yeah why don't this, they why don't they spin off the property portfolio and just yeah they, well, they, they, but then they lack control of it that's the thing didn't they they, they, they yeah. did have a vehicle didn't they what they was did it called? do this in yeah. their in their early growth phase they actually did sell the property to fund the construction of their data centers because remember these things cost 100 150 million dollars each to build so to to fund that early on they did used to sell the, the underlying property it was called remember. um yeah i remember i pitched it and you yeah, guys knocked yeah, me yeah, back yeah, yeah. Before it soared. <laughs> oh yeah, and then it got taken. Well, then, they, then they bought it back. It yeah, called. that's yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. then they bought it back, so it would have been. Yeah, yeah so they bought yeah. it back, and, and what they that. said at the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you, JC, in particular. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, at, at the time, what they said was that they they bought it back, and they don't spin off property anymore because the long term customers actually feel more comfortable with um with them holding the property. So they, it's a clear indication that they. 
that that customers want to be in there for decades and they don't want to risk mm. um uh tenancy um with with someone else um but you know i think with with rental agreements that that can be overcome i don't think that's a game changer um but it's it's a it is Probably a, a good sign that their, their customers are really, pushing back on that yeah. really good sign it yeah. means the customers know they're going to be there forever it just means that there's always going to be, I think, um, uh, takeover interest in the business because there's there's such strong property value, um, and uh, there's no doubt that an infrastructure or superannuation fund will pay a huge amount. I mean, I, I consider these on par with the towers, um, and the towers are getting 30, 35 times EBITDA, and I think you could very easily pay that for property and structure the deals to get billions, release billions of dollars of value um, if you wanted to do that. Um, so I don't want to be negative about the stock too much, but just I think that when you're talking about buying it, there has to be an adequate margin of safety, and that margin is actually shrinking right now. So it's not the time to to run off and, and be aggressive with your purchases on a business like this. Right, gents, shall we um, shall we wrap it up there? Call it. There Let's we go. call it. Okay, well done. Uh, reporting season's over. I think I've got one left to, to cover, which has been <laughs> haven't haven't actually published it yet. But it's what stock is it? It's Illumina. It's done, but um, I just haven't had a. We got it looking for a day we can put it in. Um, James, I think you're all done as well, aren't you? I, I Woolies and Coles. I got Woolies and Coles. All right, that doesn't really count. We all know what's going on there. Yeah, there's not <laughs> great businesses, um, and they trot along. Yeah. And Graham, in typical Graham fashion, you're probably the first one to finish. Yep, I don't have any. What's it called? Any stocks left? They're yep. all. Yeah, they get their reporting over and done with early. The most organized member of the team by far. Definitely that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll get on to um, some some ideas and um, we'll do this again. Uh, James, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. Graham, thanks to you. Thanks, Greg. And for everyone else, thank you for listening.